0: You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of Matthew. Here's Nate. Well, as we continue in Matthew chapter 5, moving on to chapter 6 and 7, we're seeing Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount giving his kingdom manifesto. He is laying out for his followers what it will look like to be a part of his kingdom. He'd already given the Beatitudes in verse 3 through 12. He'd already given this incredible exhortation to his disciples and the crowd gathered, stating that in his kingdom, his people would be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He had already explained how this kingdom of heaven is obtained it starts in Matthew 5 verse 3 by being poor in spirit there's a poverty of spirit there's an agreement with God that yes I am and have fallen short of the glory of God there is this agreement that I am guilty that I am sinful and that without forgiveness I will never be able to dwell in the presence of God in the kingdom of heaven And so that agreement then leads a person to being open to receiving the glorious message of the cross. But now a question that would have been present in the minds of the hearers that day would have been, well, what about the law? What about the law and the Old Testament prophets? What about all of these requirements, these systems, these feasts and festivals and Forms of worship that are on our calendar year that we partake of. What about these things? Are you trying to say that in your kingdom, we do not partake of all of these different elements? And to that Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, And there's a huge difference between Jesus abolishing the law, just sort of coming on the scene and saying, hey, you know, all of that was ridiculous and all of that is unnecessary. There's a huge difference between Jesus abolishing in that way and actually fulfilling, saying, I have now fulfilled and have been obedient to the law and have executed it completely. Completely and its entirety. And so now I have fulfilled the law. And certainly, as you look at the life of Christ, he was no stranger to the law of God. Now, there were, of course, moments where the religious leaders would often grapple with Jesus concerning the keeping of the Sabbath. But it doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't a keeper of the Sabbath. It merely means that they had incorrect interpretations of what the Sabbath was all about. No, Jesus was uh, obedient to the law of God. He was on the eighth day circumcised. And so from the very beginning of his life, he was fulfilling and obeying uh, the law of God. And so the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they had, of course, misinterpreted the law of God sort of lowered the bar in one sense. And that's what Jesus is going to take us through in this passage, is he's going to actually raise the bar of the law of God and show its pure and right and truest intention. So what we have today is the fulfilled law. And so our question now is, well, what is it that we follow? Well, what we follow isn't necessarily a what, it's a who. Uh, We as believers now on this side of the cross, we look to Christ. There is a law governing our hearts called the law of liberty, which is love. And so we look at Christ and the way that he lived, and our desire is to be like him. This is the law that governs us. He fulfilled the Old Testament ceremonial law, and so now we look to Christ as our example and our model to follow even now and today. And so Jesus tells them, I have not come to abolish, but I'm here to fulfill for verse 18. Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus utters something that would have been a total shock to the listeners that day. He says to them, listen, first of all, and this wouldn't have been a shocking part of it, but he says, you know, first of all, verse 18, until heaven and earth pass away, not one dot or iota will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Sort of shows you the respect that Jesus has for Scripture, for the Word of God. You know, it's going to remain uh, until heaven and earth pass away. And he says, listen, you know, you can't even relax one of the least of these commandments and teach others to do so. That's dangerous territory to fall into to lead people astray and to relax the law of God. No, Jesus then doesn't relax the law of God. He makes it even apparently to them more stringent in saying in verse 20, if your righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never, never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now to us, this is an amazing statement. And it was more so an amazing statement to the hearers that day because they looked at the scribes and the Pharisees and they saw them as remarkable and righteous people. But What Jesus is going to show, and we of course have the advantage of time to see the way the Gospels unfold, But we understand that the scribes and the Pharisees had righteousness in a very hypocritical, surface-level kind of manner. And what Jesus is attempting to do is to show his listeners that there are matters of the heart that must be dealt with. You see, the way the scribes and the Pharisees and the the way Israel went about it at that time and, and during that period of history, the way they went about it was a very superficial external kind of devotion and obedience oh sure you had a remnant who had a heart felt response for god and to god but for the most part it was a very surface level kind of discipline and obedience and so what jesus is doing is he, he's going to show them listen there is this heart inside of you that i want to deal with and so he explains it first in this in the in the realm of anger He says in verse 21, he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So the first thing Jesus points out, and he uses this phrase which he'll use repeatedly in this section, he says, you have heard that it was said to those of old. This is going to be repeated. You have heard that it was said. And then he quotes From Scripture and uh, he says from the law you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment But then Jesus says something incredibly audacious He says verse 22, but I say to you That everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to To the hell of fire. (laughs) Now, this is one of those moments where when someone says that Jesus, you know, was just a good teacher, taught wonderful morals, or was a spiritual, uh, religious kind of man. This is the kind of word or the kind of statement that debunks that kind of opportunity. Because here you have this man quoting scripture and then saying but i say to you this would be a very audacious claim from christ unless he had some authority with which to speak and so obviously as the son of god god the son the very word of god himself who became flesh and dwelt among us unless he occupied that position he would not have the authority to say I know that some people say this and quote scripture and then say, but I say unto you. No, this authority stemmed from his position in the triune Godhead. And so he tells them though, in this thing, he says, listen, you know, I know that you've heard that it's said that, you know, if you murder, you'll be liable to judgment. But then Jesus says, you know, I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother, where everyone who insults his brother, where everyone who says, you fool, or you empty head, he says these people are actually in danger of judgment, the counsel, and hellfire. It's interesting because what Jesus is doing is he's taking this very simple, plain, black and white kind of thing, murder. Right? And even murder, we have a tendency and an an ability to muck up and make into a muddy kind of thing was it self-defense was it premeditated all of that but 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 he just says listen you've heard it said murder i mean that's pretty black and white are you guilty of murder or are you not but here jesus takes it into this realm where he says okay but i'm saying to you that if there's hatred in your heart, if you are angry with your brother, if you're insulting of your brother, if you say, you empty head or you fool, you are in danger of that very same judgment. I think what Jesus is doing is he's demonstrating that there's this issue of the heart. And that the Pharisees and religious leaders, they'd sort of walked around saying, you know, you're not allowed to murder. But you could have a nation of people walking around believing that because they had not murdered, they were innocent in regards to the way that they were treating others, but with hatred and bitterness and frustration and slander inside of their hearts and coming from their mouths and dwelling inside of their minds, Jesus says, you're just as guilty. You're just as guilty. Now, of course, if you commit murder, you're going to experience consequences in this life Uh, far greater than, you know, mere hatred or slander or some other, you know, sickness of the heart. But in the mind and heart of God, the crime is just the same. Because what it demonstrates in either case is that there is a brokenness inside of man's heart that must be remedied. So Jesus said, verse 23, if you are offering your gift at the altar and Of a man at the altar offering a gift and realizing that he has something against his brother or his brother has something against him. And then you have another case where a a man is in court with his accuser. And what Jesus says on both fronts is rapidly and quickly be reconciled. If possible, as much as depends on you, Paul would say in Romans 12 verse 18, live Peaceably with all men. And so I think, just practically speaking, in this great kingdom of his, you know, we are to, as a people, be a unified people. We are, as a people, required to quickly settle our debts. And when someone has something against us, and we have wronged someone, we are to quickly repent and quickly apologize. We are to quickly, in a submissive sense to the Lord, approach that person and seek to make things right. I've found that many believers, myself included, just have such a difficult time in this area. But the Lord has called us to be an apologetic, reconciling people. People who own up to their duty and their responsibility, people who own up to the wrong that they commit and produce against others. And this is so important. It's an attractive thing to live this kind of life, it's an unattractive thing to never claim guilt. Sometimes I stop and I just think about how rarely I hear the word I'm sorry, I apologize. Please forgive me. Now, very rarely will will I hear that. Usually there are justifications and excuses and reasonings rather than simply owning up to our own sin. And so here Jesus is addressing the relationship between people. In verse 27, he goes on to another category where he says, You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. That's from the law. You shall not commit adultery. He says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so Jesus here really steps up the law. You know, they had been clinging to just simple abstinence from the committing of adultery. But Jesus then takes it a step further and he says, No, no, I say to you that everyone who even looks at a woman, any man who looks at a woman with lustful intent within his heart has already committed adultery with her inside of his heart. And so what Jesus is demonstrating here, obviously this is the same as the murder subject, You know, obviously, if a man carries out actual physical adultery or something near it, you know, obviously, he's going to experience much graver consequences by pursuing an adulterous relationship or throwing himself into the pornographic world, you know, whatever. He's going to experience much greater consequence than if he were to you know, simply look upon a woman at a moment with a lustful intent inside of his heart, in the here and now. But what Jesus is saying is, these people are just as guilty in the sight of God. One, that lust in the heart, demonstrates the capability of a man to commit the other, full-fledged adultery. So Jesus is pointing out to these people, he's making the law more stringent than they had originally thought it to be and speaking of this adultery that is of the heart and so you know a very difficult statement from Christ and it just sort of goes to demonstrate the importance of purity of mind and purity of heart for God's people men and women alike consecrated within our eyes as Job said you know, I have made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look upon the young woman. It's so hard, though, You know, in this life. And Jesus understands that and recognizes that. And what he's trying to do is point out that there is something broken inside of the human heart and condition because this is what people continually go back to, those lustful intentions, just like in the murder charge, those hateful intentions. And so he says, you're guilty. He says, verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. And so Jesus speaking with Great hyperbole here tells these guys, he says, look, if your right eye or your right hand or your foot causes you to sin, then cut them off or pluck it out. And because it'd be better for you to enter into life maimed than into hell with a whole body. This is an intimidating statement from Christ, but notice the way he words it. First of all, this is obvious hyperbole. Uh, we would all be walking around having to maim ourselves. You would see the physical evidence of it. Uh, so it's obvious hyperbole. But on the other hand, what he said specifically was, if your eye, hand, or foot cause you to sin. And I think the reality of what Jesus is trying to say here is that your body really is not the cause of the sin. There is a heart inside of you that drives you to anger and drives you to hate and drives you to lust. And that heart must be dealt with by the king of this kingdom and by the glorious gospel, by the blood of Jesus. So verse 31, he says, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, That everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, obviously, in our modern era, we have made, in so many ways, culturally, just a mockery of the institution of marriage. I mean, really, you've got, God has established the family, God has established government, and God has established the church. These three institutions are designed to protect society and strengthen society. When the church is strong, when government is uh, strong and has minimal uh, a minimal amount of corruption, and when the family is strong, by and large, that society will be hel- healthy and, and and strong. And so, But they had become very lax and said, you know, listen, back in the Old Testament days, Moses made a way for someone to give their wife a certificate of divorce. Now, Jesus would explain this later in Matthew chapter 19 and explain, listen, the only reason Moses did this was because of the hardness of your heart. This is hardly the ideal of God. But here Jesus expounds and he says, listen, it's not just this simple certificate that you can give. And as long as you give a certificate, well, then you've fulfilled the law of God. No, he says, just the fact that you are even giving the certificate shows that there is something wrong inside of your heart. You are a lawbreaker. And so Jesus says, I say to you, You know, everyone who divorces their wife, except for the ground of sexual immorality, they make her commit adultery. And when they go around marrying in this kind of environment, they are themselves committing adultery. And so Jesus shows the brokenness of man's heart. That, uh, you know, the very reason that all of these divorces even existed was a broken state inside of a believer's heart. And so inside of his kingdom, divorce, outside of the grounds of sexual immorality, which don't belong in his kingdom anyways, uh, outside of that, you know, this shouldn't be present in God's kingdom. And so it's so sad when those who name the name of Christ end up going this route. Is there grace Certainly. Can God restore someone who has gone this route? Absolutely. But it takes a poverty of spirit, once again, to really see that restoration occur. Rather than standing your ground and saying, I'm right, and I should have, and I instead just humbly saying, you know, it wasn't right, and it wasn't ideal, and I have broken the very law of God and the law of liberty. Now again in verse 33, he said, Again you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So this covenant concerning telling the truth and keeping your vows. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, uh, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So in his kingdom, there were those in that day who they would make all of these vows and attach, you know, I promise by the gold on the temple or I promise by the throne of God or I promise by the earth, his footstool, I promise by the hair on my head And Jesus says, knock it off. In my kingdom, it's either yes or no. The very presence of vows demonstrates that you are liars by nature. And so the new nature says, there is my yes and there is my no. And I think it's important to say no from time to time, by the way, to know what to say yes to and to know what to say no to. But uh, here he says, No, in my kingdom, it's just yes and no. Now, obviously, in this world, we sign documents, we make commitments. This is a way for us to say yes or to say no. But we are a people who keep our word. He said, You have heard, verse 38, that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, Do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And so Jesus talks about this ethic within his kingdom of being a generous people A people who go the extra mile, Roman soldiers at the time could tell a person to carry their bag up to a mile. And so for the believer, for the Christian, they are then to go that extra mile. And you can imagine the conversations that would ensue during that second mile with that Roman soldier. And so there's just a behavior of God's people, of turning the cheek, of being generous, of Uh, giving our clothing, being giving people, and just blessing others. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, What reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so Jesus sets the bar at its highest place. He says, listen, if you're only able to love those who love you, then you're just the same as everyone else. You know, the sun rises on people who are evil and people who are good. The rain rains upon those who are evil and upon those who are good. What difference is there? He says, no, you're not to greet only your brothers, but be like your father. That's why he says in verse 48, you therefore must be perfect. Be complete as your heavenly father is perfect. And of course, we understand in this kingdom That the only way for us to be made perfect is by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus sets the bar high so that we will understand our deep need for the gospel. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.